0: Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. And now, join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. What does Peter mean by calling women the weaker vessel? That is the question we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, brand manager for the HCSB, and uh, joined as always by my co-host, Trevin Wax, the managing editor of The Gospel Project. And uh, we have with us today Jen Wilkin, who is uh, the author of many books, including her latest, uh, None Like Him, Ten Ways God is Different from Us. Uh, she also recently released a Bible study uh, on First Peter uh, with LifeWay and the Gospel Coalition, and she's taught... Uh, women in the church and in parachurches for over 15 years. And so it's a joy for us to have her on today. Thanks for jumping on, Jen.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So just to frame this conversation a little bit, uh, just for our listeners who may not be totally aware of the the conversation, um, you you have two camps. You have complementarianism and egalitarianism. There's a million ways that that gets broken down into what it means in everyday life. But kind of Big picture, a million um, ways, a million, a million. Yeah. Literally, you a million. <laughs> a million <laughs> ways. I, I counted a million, and Jen actually said it was a million, so she backed me up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's tons of ways um, that you can that you can break down what it means. But uh, complementarians generally say women, um, men and women are created equally in the image of God, but men uh, are uniquely called as leaders to be pastors and leaders in their home, uh, pastors, elders, or leaders in their homes. Um, egalitarians will, will typically say that there is no distinction in role between men and women, both in the church and in the home. So that's kind of the big picture of what we're talking about here. And that influences a little bit of how, how we view this passage on the weaker vessel. Um, so Jen, it's safe to say you, you fall on the complementarian side of that divide. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you have, um, you have kind of a unique situation, um, in our culture and in church culture, in some ways, in that in that you Um, have a very clear calling and gifting to write and speak. You do it very well. I mean, they're really, we need more like you. There aren't enough Jen Wilkins in the world who are writing and speaking as well as you are. Uh, But how do you balance, you know, being a complementarian in your convictions um, on this as as far as God has not called you to be a pastor or an elder, uh, but you're also exercising gifts of teaching and writing and and all those kind of things. So how do you balance that just in your day-to-day life?
1: Well, you know, honestly, for me, in terms of ministry trajectory, I've been very um, blessed to have men in particular who have sought me out and said, how can we help you to get better at what you do and how can we place you in environments where you're going to flourish? I wish that my experience were more normative in the church, but Mm -hmm. it isn't always. And uh, I'm really convicted as a complementarian that if our practice accurately reflected our theology across the board, that there wouldn't be a lot for egalitarians to throw rocks at, because it would be so clear that women are flourishing in their giftings in the Church. I don't think that's what we always see. Hmm. And so I think a lot of times the frustration that you hear articulated by women around why why is it that women can't have the pulpit is, is in my mind, often a product of Uh, The greater reality that they have had withheld from them other areas of service which could and should be open to them. And so there's just been so much tension that's grown up around that. We have tended toward an understanding of womanhood that has no concept of female leadership or authority in the church, that all authority and leadership roles should be reserved for men. And that's been fairly debilitating, I would say, to women in ministry. And so sort of recapturing um, the idea of what are the appropriate places for women to hold authority and to lead would go great lengths, I think, to quieting the controversy and the pushback around why are women not in the pulpit.
2: Jen, I appreciate your your voice on these matters and um, have benefited from your writings, your blog posts you put out, also um the books you've done, the Bible studies, um, some some great work there. And so I'm excited that we get to uh talk with you about First Peter chapter three. I'm gonna read this passage from the HCSB and we're we're gonna there's a lot we could unpack in this passage, obviously, but in the uh 15 minutes or so that we've got in this podcast, we want to uh to focus on that the part about the weaker vessels. So uh let me just read verses one through seven and then we will um uh, get your take on this. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and are not frightened by anything alarming. Husbands in the same way, Live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So to, to this question here in verse seven, um, Jen, um, husbands in the same way, live with your wives with, a, with an understanding of their weaker nature or some translations say weaker vessel. Um, what, what are a couple of the different interpretations that you have come across in your study of that passage?
1: What I hear a lot of times is either communicated sort of by not communicating enough about this or um, is communicated overtly is that women are fragile uh, and that fragility is interpreted in different ways. Like, and It's interesting to me how deeply women have absorbed these messages over time. They if you ask women, and I've asked them in my studies before, hey, what does it mean by weaker vessel? In what ways are you weaker than a man? And and they'll say, you know, and they have to check off, am I emotionally weaker? Am I intellectually weaker? Spiritually, physically, what is it? And and so often women will check physically weaker, but then they're also like, I think I may be emotionally weaker too, or or I may be intellectually weaker too. And if you think about The fact that we are co-heirs of the grace of life, and you look back at Genesis chapter 1, and we're both created in the image of God with equal value, then we can't be co-heirs of grace if one of us is morally weaker. So it has to be – it can't be that we are more prone to sin than men are, which is something that I think has been communicated to women a lot, that we're more prone to be deceived or that um, we are just more open to temptation. So telling women, hey, this isn't about being morally weaker or spiritually weaker than men. It can't be because you can't be a co-heir unless you're implicated equally in the fall, maybe not in the same way, but to an equal degree. And then, um, you know, the, the emotional thing, that's the one that kind of cracks me up is that women perceive themselves to be emotionally weaker than men. Because I always want to say, have you ever watched the Super Bowl with a guy? I mean, guys can get in touch with their emotions pretty quickly under the right circumstances. And I have never thrown the remote at the TV ever once. So we're not emotionally weaker <laughs> than men. We are wired differently with the way that we relate to our emotions. But is that weakness, or is it that we're more in touch, more immediately in touch with some emotions? Is it a sign of strength to stuff your emotions like a lot of men do? So you I, know,
2: just, it, I just I just want to know of... now what it would take for you to throw your remote control at the television. <laughs> <laughs> you have me wondering what would you have to see
0: there to know, but.
1: Probably if I couldn't get the local weather on right when I wanted to. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Man, that is...
1: Yeah.
0: Jen Wilkin loves the Weather Channel. That is the takeaway from this episode of Word Matters.
1: That is right.
0: Uh, So, So, you know, I
1: feel like we've marched right past the plain meaning of this text sometimes. Because if you think about it, like, say that Trevin and I were having an argument in a public place. And I trevin in the arm several times because i was so frustrated he would cry
0: him. by the way yeah i would get <laughs> in might. touch
2: with my emotions really quickly if we did
1: <laughs> people might look at us people might tell us to calm down you know but probably no one would intervene to help trevin mm-hmm. but what if the tables were turned what if trevin is frustrated and he punches me in the arm three times someone might call the cops you yeah. know i mean that's why? Because men tend to have physical dominance over women. They're just stronger than we are. And so I, I think that that's what really is in view here in First Peter 3. And if you think about it, I mean, there's even a cultural component to this we should talk about because it's a cultural component that's not unique to the time in which this was written. Um Men, you know, had greater social status than women did. Women were considered to be subhuman, and they didn't have the full rights of citizenship. And in fact, a husband in his home had the power of life and death over his wife's children,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even into adulthood. And so um, he would have, even though there were at the time actually laws on the books to prevent domestic violence, they were just starting to be put on the books around this time. They were not being enforced like they would be in a society where women had equal standing as citizens. So I think, you know, what Peter's getting at here is, hey, she's weaker than you. And if you mistreat her because you have physical dominance, then don't expect that your prayers will be answered.
0: Yeah, so, and that that is like the most terrifying verse in the Bible to me, is if you don't, if you're not kind with your wife then the lord may not listen to your prayers there are nights where i tell chris yeah. i'm like i'm pretty sure god didn't hear my prayer tonight cuz i was a total jerk <laughs> today so yeah <laughs> um so now how do you how do you balance so you mentioned the culturally um bound part of this and i think there's definitely truth to that how do you balance kind of the extreme view which basically says this is only culturally bound it's just peter commenting on something that's going on in the culture but but it's not in any way prescriptive for our lives as far as the context of the passage and and in other in other verses, um, how do you, how do you deal with kind of that that tension between the cultural and then the, the doctrinal and the things that we can apply now?
1: Well, I think it's interesting to me that when it comes to the gender conversation, we often are fastest to neglect any cultural components when we when we get to a particular verse because we're so leery of saying that something is culturally bound. But I would argue that in this case, this is not bound to a particular time and place there might have been a particular cultural nuance to it at the time that it's written but i read an article recently an npr report about how women in um in um heavily muslim countries uh believe that it's acceptable for a husband to beat his wife if she refuses sex so yes. these are not ideas that are dead these are ideas that still exist mm-hmm. and you know you read just the the headlines. Uh, Of any newspaper today, even though we live in a country that has laws on the books, um, women still suffer physical abuse at the hands of men because men are physically dominant. And so I I think there is a cultural aspect to this discussion, but I would also say there's a very big transcultural principle that we see Genesis 3.16 playing out. The woman wants to dominate the man, the man wants to dominate the woman. Mm -hmm. The man does so with, probably does with physical strength, and the woman probably is doing that with um, other forms of strength, manipulation, Mm -hmm. um, those
0: kinds of things. Yeah, you know, and and culturally, I think, too, for us, when you hear, when somebody reads, you know, weaker vessel or weaker nature or however it's translated, there's the connotation of weaker automatically means inferior or automatically means, you know, not... um, that if we say that a woman is weaker, then we're saying that she's not equal with man in the way that she's created or in God's image. How do you how do right. you kind of deal with that? Same, you know, we have the same conversation with submission to husbands and all those. These these kind of words in our culture get they
2: um, have a, a negative p- connotation. Yeah,
0: and part of it is because right. that is because it actually happens. I mean, women are treated as second class citizens, and in other cultures, like you said, that they are treated weaker in the very most strict and, and evil sense. So, how do you, what do you do with that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in in this case of women being weaker to men and not wanting there to be any baggage around that term, I think you only have to turn your eyes to Genesis chapter one and two. I mean, look, pre-fall, women have always been physically weaker than men. It's a part of our biology. And in Mm -hmm. fact, women, unlike men, even into, so for men, basically their only understanding of powerlessness would have to be something they remember from childhood. But for women, we understand powerlessness for our entire lives because we re-encounter it and we are never the physically dominant in every setting as as most adult men are. So like I was talking to my husband one day about, I actually asked several men, uh, I said, you know, when you walk down a, a dark street at night, what do you do? And across the board, I got this response of, what do you mean, what do I do? I just walk down the street. But for women, we have all these crazy things that we've been told to do our whole lives. Like, oh, I put my keys between my knuckles to make nunchucks, or <laughs> I, you know, I mean, or I'm scanning everywhere. I've got my cell phone out, pretending to talk on it. Why? Because we know that we're going to lose in a, in a fight, probably. Um. And, and if you think about that, but if you look at women prior to the fall, that's we were created that way, and it makes us relate differently. It means that we seek collaboration and consensus. Why? Because we, we only find strength in numbers. You know, think about mm. how men tend to be more individualistic. It makes sense. It's rooted in biology. So I don't think there's any shame in being weaker. There must be something spiritually important in it, or God would not have pronounced it good mm. uh, when the creation was complete. So, you know, as a woman, I if I bear a child, which is part of my biology, again, that is a, an intentionally, that is a biologically um, ordained, so to speak, time of weakness for me. Even if you hold a black belt in karate when you're nine months pregnant, you're not going <laughs> to roundhouse and kick somebody and drop them to the ground. <laughs> And so we're just more vulnerable from a biological standpoint, and I think that that is that means that there is a special responsibility then that falls to the strong to protect the weak.
2: Mm. So, Jen, help us. Uh, one of the things we we like to do as we wrap up this podcast is to talk about um, to give some counsel to people listening about how if they come if they're teaching this passage, uh, if a pastor is going to be preaching this, uh, a church leader speaking from it, a Bible study leader, uh, parent, how. How do you recommend that people opening up God's Word and teaching this passage would? What are what are the things you would want them to steer away from, and the things you would want to make sure that they uh, uh, make clear in their in their teaching of that uh, this truth?
1: I think that it's important for us to keep the emphasis where I think the emphasis is in this passage, and that is that we are co-heirs of the grace of life. Hmm. And if you think about that, coerce the grace of life, I think it echoes the the cultural mandate that's given to both the man and the woman to, to rule and to do back in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and so that means that the role of woman has to be viewed not as a nice addition to what God was planning to do through humankind, but it, the role of woman needs to be viewed as essential and indispensable. And so if we take... This idea of weaker vessel and we turn it so that it makes her less necessary to the fulfillment of the great command here on earth and the fulfillment of the cultural mandate. And we've done something that the text is not doing. We have to look at this and say, how does it speak of a, a strong vision of womanhood versus, a, oh, she's fragile. Hmm. So it's fair to say she's physically less dominant than the man is. But to say she's like fine china, which is the most common way I hear this, like you need to treasure her. She's like a fine piece <laughs> of porcelain. Porcelain is neither useful. You know, it, it, it's not you only pull it out every now and then and it tends to break easily. I think that's a that's a bad bad metaphor for the role of women in the redemptive purposes of, of God's
0: plan. So if I were to preach this or teach this, and I were to say something like, you know, you should treat your woman, your wife, like, like fine China. And well, I would think I was say being your woman. my woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead and Please get all my biases and prejudices right there on the table. <laughs> say say oh,
1: your lady. My lady.
0: Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's funny. I would think I would say, you know, you should treat your wife like fine China in, in this way that I feel like I'm saying like, you should be kind to her and gentle to her. And, Yada, yada, yeah. yada. But it's funny the way that it's heard on the other end. Yeah. So um, we and always...
1: You know, but you know this. Uh, pastors, people who preach and teach, we're communicators. And that means that we can't say it the way that we that we hear it. We have to say it the way that it will be received. And what I hear again and again from women is what they've heard over the years, whether it was intended for them to hear it that way or whether, you know, there was something else going on there is you're less than, you're fragile, you are um you know, you have to be cared for. You don't you don't take on a role in which your contributions are are reflective of being a co heir and a co laborer.
0: Yeah. That that's sad to hear, but we're thankful for again for, for women like you who are writing and speaking and doing a great job speaking into this. And thank you so much for doing that.
1: Thanks for letting me. <laughs>
0: All right, well, um, that wraps up another episode. Uh, thank you again, Jen, for being on here. Thank you, Trevin, for jumping on as always. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters is presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's readers. Find out more at hcsb.org.